let's get our Bible out and let's, uh, let's dig into God's Word. Does that sound like a good idea? All right, so we open up to Proverbs chapter 6. That's where we're going to be today, Proverbs chapter 6. And while you're turning there, once again, a reminder of the app. If you haven't downloaded the app, really encourage you to do that. Lots of great content on there. And all of our messages, all the content is in the app sermon notes section. And you can go back and review or you can share it with others. So it's a great uh, resource for you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. Now, when I was a kid, I thought that it was kind of a cool thing to do to be able to play the piano, right? I kind of had visions of me playing some cool jazz thing or back in the day, somebody playing keys in a band was, was a cool thing to do. And I thought, I, I like to play piano. I had lots of friends that were taking piano, so I thought I'd take piano. And so about 10 years old, 11 years old, started taking piano and I, I learned some things pretty quick. One is you start off with these really little songs. You know what I'm talking about? Like the ones that have like three notes in them like hot cross buns or you know three blind mice things like that you that's book one right then you graduate to book two that has like five notes in it you know and then then you slowly work your way up and the the more complicated began the more frustrated I got I mean I remember losing my temper and banging on the keys I mean it just was hard for me to do I mean I had an ear for it but just the discipline of of making it all work and practicing every day. Hey, I wanted to be great. I just really didn't want to practice, okay? That's just what it came down to. I want to be awesome. I just didn't want to do anything to get to be awesome. And so I, I, my teachers kind of sensed that and they tried to give me songs they thought I would like and they tried to nurse me along. But after a couple of years, I'm like, you know, I, I, I don't have the want to anymore. I'm not really good at it. I'm, I'm not very, I just, I'm kind of frustrated with the whole thing. And so I just quit. I just quit. So today, I can play a couple of chords, and that's about it. I can't play some beautiful piece. I know a few, I can do a couple of country songs, because they're about three chords anyway, and that's, that's about all I can do on the piano. But as I look back, uh, you know, I noticed that in my younger days, there were a lot of things that I quit on. Uh, I wanted to play the trombone. So for like one whole summer, I took special lessons. And then after that, before school started, I quit because that, that wasn't cool anymore. And then uh, I, I played Little League and they put me out in left field and nobody gets to the left field in Little League. So like I'm picking daisies. And I'm like, oh, this is boring. And so I quit. I, I tried swimming one time until I lost my shorts in my first swim meet. And that's a true story, but I'm not going to tell you right now. But but I'm like, okay, I'm done, you know, <laughs> one, thing, one thing like that and I'm done. And so I found that it was easy to get in a habit of quitting. You can get into a habit of trying something and if you're not amazing right at the beginning, if you're not a prodigy right at first, if it takes effort, if it takes discipline, then, then okay, I'm out because I want to be amazing without having to put a lot into it. And a lot of people quit on a lot of things in life. Here's the truth of the matter is, uh, if you want to do anything great, it's going to require a lot of effort and discipline. It's going to take you staying with it and breaking through the quitting points in your life because anybody can quit. But the people that get to the greatness are the people that have discipline and determination and keep going. And I really think that that is a lesson that Solomon, King Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs, is trying to tell his young son. Remember, Proverbs is writing to his young son about life, lessons in life. 
and what can hold him back in life. And so he's trying to speak this into him. And in chapter six, he addresses this how to do great things in life. And man, it's such a practical, practical message for us uh, today. And so we're going to look into this. There's a lot happening in chapter 6 of Proverbs. There's a lot of warnings against other people. There are lots of other dangers lurking in this chapter that he's warning them against. But we're just only going to focus on Proverbs chapter 6, beginning at verse 6 through verse 11. Okay? So that's where we're going to land today. So if you'll look at that with me. And let's look at this together. This is the word of God. Go to the ant, you sluggard, or you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without leader, administrator, or ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. How long will you stay in bed, you slacker? When will you get up from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. Now stop right there. Now, of course, the key word here is the word slacker. I, I, it just sounds fun to say that. Everybody say that. One, two, three. Slacker. Yeah, that just sounds fun to say. It's the key word here in verse 6. You can underline that. Some versions say the word sluggard. Hands up if your version says sluggard in your Bible. Okay, so that would be like being sluggish, right? Or slow, not quick, not working hard. Another term is lazy one. I, I like the, I think the New Living Translation translates it lazy bones, which is kind of a fun nickname to give somebody. Lazy bones, all right? So what it means is somebody that is habitually lazy. This person is habitually not wanting to work. This is kind of their pattern. They, they often quit when things get hard. They, if, if they're not amazing at the beginning, then they just shrug their shoulders and try something else. They want the easy life. They want the easy path. They want the easy way. And they can easily become apathetic and indifferent to things if they're not feeling it anymore. Okay. And so this is the danger that Solomon is warning his son. Don't, don't go down this road. Don't let this get into your life. Don't let this be a, a pattern for you. It's called laziness. Now, what we're going to do in this message, just in this brief talk here, is what I want to try to do is kind of unpack some things for you about laziness. Because we don't talk about this topic very often, yet it's a very practical, very important message. First, we want to take a look at the cause of laziness. Where, where does it come from? What is it exactly when he's warning against being a sluggard or a slacker? What does he mean, right? So what's the cause of laziness? Then we're going to get to the cost. Okay, if you go down this road, if you allow, allow this to become a habit in your life, what's it going to cost you? And then lastly, we're going to get to the, uh, the cure for laziness. So let's just kind of lean into it now. The cause, if you're taking notes, the cause of laziness. Let's look at it again in verse 9. He's going to show us. How long will you stay in bed, you slacker? Uh, when will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest. Now, you get the image here, right? You get the picture. Here's somebody and they just love to sleep, right? I mean, they got the room cold. They got foil on the windows so it's nice and dark. 
They got the fan going. They got the noisemaker going. They got their extra comforter, you know, with the, with the feather pillow top, you know, on their mattress. They've got their favorite pillow. They've, they've, they've got their warmy, comfy PJs on. And, and they're, just, they're just snuggled in. And I mean, they are as comfortable as they can be. Anybody feeling sleepy right now? Okay, yeah. I mean, they are comfy, comfy, comfy. And they love being there. And they may sleep till 10. They may sleep till noon. They may sleep till 3 in the afternoon, right? Because they're just so comfortable. And so what is, what is Solomon saying about the source or the cause of laziness? Well, what he's saying here is that the lazy person has a craving. They have a craving. In fact, if you might make a note of it, Proverbs 12, verse 25, this is what he says. A slacker's craving will kill him because his hands refuse to work. In other words, there's something that he wants more than work. There's something that he wants to do more than anything else. And what is this lazy person, this slacker person want more than anything else? It is comfort. He wants comfort. She wants comfort comfort. He wants to be comfortable. He doesn't want to do anything outside of his comfort zone. He just wants to sleep. He just wants to roll over. He wants to veg out. He wants to chill out. He wants to binge on Netflix. He wants to eat whatever he wants to eat and do whatever he wants to do. He just wants to be comfortable. Comfort is what he craves. Now, you can be a lazy person and and be busy you can be crazy busy and crazy lazy at the same time if you're always busy doing the things that you want to do right hey I'm busy I'm scrolling on my phone that's that's busy right there right I'm busy doing something but yet I'm lazy how is that because I'm refusing to do the things that are hard I'm refusing to do the things that are necessary or the things that are uncomfortable for me and so the, the, the lazy person here really is all about comfort, the easy road, the easy path, the easy way, and they're quite indifferent and don't really want to do anything else. Now, there is a streak of this in all of us, right? Would you agree? I mean, if you, if you really are honest, there's some streak of laziness in all of us. They're all, we all have things we don't want to do, Right? Some of us, we don't want to do our taxes, right? We, we don't want to get into that box with all those receipts, all right? I just, I put that off as long as possible. Right? I don't want to clean the garage. Or I don't want to get up and go to the, the gym or I, I, I don't want to eat broccoli, all right? I, I want chocolate chip cookies and a sleeve of them now. All right. I, I don't want to do these. I don't want to have this hard conversation. I don't want to have this, this confrontation I've got to deal with. I don't want to do the difficult things. I don't want to do my homework. I don't want to do, I don't want to clean up my room, whatever the case may be. By the way, this, this really can impact even your parenting because there are a lot of parents that try to keep their kids from doing things that are hard and difficult. They don't want little Johnny uh, to be pushed. They don't want the coach to yell at her or get upset with him and make him run a lapse because he might sweat, right? Or do something terrible. We We need to protect them and make sure they're comfortable at all times. And that's precisely what they don't need. 
This can, th- this is a part of our whole culture. I mean, our whole culture is a culture of comfort. It, where all we're hearing is you got to be comfortable. We got to take it easy. You got to rest. You got to, everything's about comfort. We're, we're the age of uh, robo vacuum cleaners and self-cleaning ovens and self-driving cars. I mean, think about it. Your favorite chair is called the what? The lazy boy. All right. That's what it is. And so there's this craving for comfort. And you say, well, Craig, what's wrong with that? What's, what's wrong with, with, with being comfortable? Here, here's what's wrong with it. Comfort kills growth. You grow in the uncomfort seasons of life. When you push yourself academically and you grow through the effort of it, and it's not comfortable, it's hard, and it takes diligence, but that's where the growth is. You push yourself in your career when you're putting in those extra hours to do whatever it takes to really advance. It's in that, that margin of uncomfortable uh, effort that you grow. Right? It, it, it's, it, it's when we're uncomfortable is when we're growing. You ever been around a teething baby, right? I mean, it's certainly uncomfortable, right? They're slobbering all over themselves. They're biting down on any finger, any set of keys or any chunk of wood or anything they could get in their mouth. They're biting down. They are tremendously uncomfortable and yet they're growing. That's what they do. I remember when I was I guess I was late elementary school, early middle school, somewhere around there. I grew like four inches in one summer. And just, just growing out. I remember laying on the couch, just moaning, right? And, and because my legs hurt so bad. And the doctor said, hey, man, you're just going through, what is it called? Growth pains. That's what happens when you grow. See, growth is on the edge of your comfort. Growth is beyond your comfort zone. And, and it's only when we're uncomfortable that, that we're really able to grow. So if you are only wanting to be comfortable, you'll never grow. You see that? If you're only in the places of comfort, you'll never grow to be what God called you to do. You'll never really perceive and understand and fulfill your full redemptive potential. And so comfort, though it is a, a craving of that slacker, right? He craves comfort. It comes at a high cost. And that's the second thing I want to show you. The cost of laziness. And basically what he's saying here is that it's just going to rob you of a meaningful life. It's just going to rob you of a meaningful life. Look at verse 11. He says, your poverty will come like a robber. See that? And your need like a bandit. A robber, a bandit. I was talking with my dad this week about several years ago, their house was broken into. And he reminded me about this. I'd forgotten about it. He said, yeah, the police said it was a professional job because they were able to get in and out super fast. No one noticed them. They left no no fingerprints, no evidence of any kind, no DNA. In fact, they were so meticulous, they turned off the air conditioning unit so they could hear any approaching vehicles. And, and he said, yeah, this, this was a professional deal. They came in and they took what did not belong to him. He said, that's what laziness will do. It steals away something from you. It takes something from you. You said, well, Craig, well, what does laziness take from us? Well, he, he lists, lists it off right here. Check it out. Number one, he robbed you of your prosperity. Look at verse 11. Your poverty will come. If you allow laziness to control you, you will always struggle financially. You will always struggle financially. This is a recurring theme in the book of Proverbs. 
For example, Proverbs 20 verse 4, the sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. See, he didn't do the work, so now he doesn't have anything. Same thing in Proverbs 19 verse 15, laziness cast into a deep sleep and the idle man will suffer hunger. In other words, he's saying if you allow laziness to control you, you're always going to struggle financially. It's going to rob you of your prosperity. Secondly, and, and more importantly, I think it also robs you of your productivity. Back in uh, verses 9 and 10, he goes, man, how long are you going to sleep? When are you going to wake up? A little, little slumber, a little sleep, a little folding of the arms, and, and you're not doing anything. This is the guy, he's sleeping all day, and he's not producing anything. And maybe another person gets up at 6 a.m., and they go work out, and then they go to the job, and they, they've accomplished all things. They come home for lunch, and this guy's still in bed. He's like, man, what have you done? Uh, zero, you produce nothing. You have, God created you to be productive and creative, and you're just wasting it. You're not productive. You're just laying there. You're just wasting your time. Proverbs 26, verse 14, jot that down. Proverbs 26, verse 14 through 16. A door turns on its hinges and a slacker on his bed. The slacker buries his hand in the bowl. He is too weary to bring it up to his mouth. In his own eyes, a slacker is wiser than seven who can answer sensibly. I mean, here's this guy. He is so unproductive. It's like, he goes, just like a door turns on its hinges, but it goes nowhere, this slacker just turns on his bed and he doesn't produce anything in his life. He's so unproductive, he can't even complete a simple task of feeding himself. You know, he digs his hand to the bowl and then he just can't complete the task of getting the food up to his mouth. I mean, come on, you're, there's always an excuse for why you can't accomplish this, why you can't get this done, why you can't make this happen. He said there's just always an excuse. And yet, the slacker, the sluggard, this person, they're, they're always the expert in the room. They know more than anybody else. Ah, oh, yeah, they'll say, well, yeah, you're just wasting your time on that thing there. It'll never produce any money. And yeah, I looked into that online and that never works and yeah I tried that and that wasn't it and let me just go back to sleep right they, they're an expert on everything and yet they accomplish nothing you ever know anybody like that that's who Solomon is saying son that's what you're going to end up like you're going to end up just like this it will rob you of your prosperity it will rob you of your productivity let me give you one more and this is the most serious one it'll rob you of your purpose Ephesians 2.10 says this. I love this verse. It says, For we are his workmanship, that is, we're God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. I mean, isn't that an amazing thing? That God's going ahead of you and he's got some good works he wants you to do. God's got some things he has for you. But listen, if you refuse to show any effort, if you're just rolling back and forth on your bed, if you take the lazy path, the easy path, if you quit so easy, then you will never accomplish the things that God has for you to do. Do you understand that? That's a more deeper cost. It steals your purpose. Can you just hear this father talking to a son's son? Don't let laziness rob you. It will rob you of a meaningful life. This craving for comfort will rob you. 
And so we have to kill comfort. You know, we got to press past comfort. We can't allow it to control us because it will rob you at the end of the day of your meaning and purpose in life. And I'll tell you what, it's a great time to just stop and say, where is laziness lurking in you? You know, I have to ask myself the question, where is laziness lurking in me? There are things that I don't want to do. And maybe I've, I've, I've ignored or I've let go. And all this week, God's been going, okay, Craig, you need to press into this. This is an area that's uncomfortable for you. And yet this is where I want to grow you. This is where I want to develop you. The areas where you're uncomfortable are the areas of your growth. So where is that for you? Is it your marriage? Is it your parenting? Is it in your friendship? Is it in your dating relationships? Is it in your um, physical health? Is it in your spiritual life? Listen, I've talked to a lot of folks and just through this last year and they said, you know, I've just gotten really lazy spiritually. They want to be walking with God and yet they just can't quite get to church or they just can't quite to get to group or they just can't quite get to the coffee table where my Bible is there to open it up and have a time with the Lord. I can't quite get there. And so there, that laziness, that apathy is setting in, this indifference is setting in and it's gonna rob you of this rich, full life-giving relationship with God that you're created for. So there's a cost. There's a high cost to it. So let's talk about the cure. We've talked about the cause of laziness, that it's a craving for comfort. We talked about the cost of laziness that'll cost you a meaningful life. So what is the cure uh, for laziness? Let's look back up at verse 6. He said, go to the ant, you slacker. Observe its ways and become wise. Without a leader, administrator, ruler, it prepares its provisions in summer. It gathers its food during harvest. I remember uh, this last week, I was working out in the yard, cutting off some limbs that had died from the snowmageddon, the wintermageddon, whatever we call that thing, that winter blast that happened several months ago. And there was this low-hanging limb and I was cutting on it and I remember kicking it. And when I did, when the limb fell out, it looked like just ants poured out of this thing. I mean, it just looked like it was full of ants. And he said, if you want to look, son, at, at, at the cure for this craving for comfort in you, he said, come over here and check out this little fellow right here. Look at the ant. Observe what he's doing. This guy can carry 50 times his natural weight. He's a strong guy. But more than that, he's industrious. Without, he doesn't have a boss. He doesn't have a ruler. He doesn't have anybody with a clipboard telling him what to do. And yet he's busy, 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 constantly working, gathering, storing, gathering, storing. He has, he has great uh, work ethic. He's praised. The ant is praised for his work ethic. And so he said, you want to know what the cure is for laziness? One word. And that is discipline. He's disciplined. He works and he does what needs to be done. Tom Landry, the great legendary coach of the Dallas Cowboys, he once said, my job is to help men do what they don't want to do so that they become what they want to become. And that really is what discipline is, doing what you don't want to do so that you can become what God wants you to to become what God has called you to become. That is what discipline is. Uh, Discipline, that's how you overcome laziness. 
You know, when I think about discipline, I think about the Olympics. You know, the Olympic trials are on right now. Have y'all been following that? Any of y'all following that? Uh, I've already told every service I'm going to tell, even though she's in here right now, my wife's obsessed with the Olympic trials, okay? She's like all over. She's always got it on. She is actually like getting personally connected to these people. Did you know that Susie made the, Olympic, the diving team? Like, I didn't know that. I don't know Susie. But I mean, she's like invested in these people. And she's like, so she's really, when the Olympics come, she's going to be so fired up because she knows all these people and how they got on the team. And, and she's just obsessed with that. Well, listen, to to just get on the Olympic team takes tremendous, what? Discipline, right? I mean, these people pretty much said goodbye to their normal life. They didn't go to prom. They didn't go to regular school. They didn't go to college. They weren't in a fraternity or sorority. They didn't do any that kind of thing because they were training, 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 training all the time for one shot to get on one team where they could represent their country. Tremendous discipline. In fact, that is what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he was thinking about discipline. He was thinking about the Olympic athlete that disciplines his body. And he writes about this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me just read it to you. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24. Just listen to it. He said, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race? But only one receives a prize. Run in such a way to get the prize. How do I run in such a way to win the prize? Verse 25. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself may not be disqualified. In other words, Paul was saying in the context, God's called me to do this great work of sharing the gospel and I've got to discipline myself just like an athlete does. I've got to exercise discipline or I'll never fulfill the purpose God has for me. Now let me just make that application. God's got a purpose for you but you'll never fulfill it unless you exercise discipline. Discipline is what roots out laziness. Let me put it another way. Great things require doing hard things. Great things require doing hard things. Great things require doing hard things. If you wanna have a great marriage, it's gonna require you doing some hard stuff to maybe deal with some things there that you've been ignoring. Or the hard work, guys, when you come home and you don't just plop on the couch, you actually start to help your wife. Or you love your husband even when it's difficult to do so. Great things require doing hard things. You want to be great in your career, it's going to require you doing some hard things. Great things require doing hard things. You want to be great in, as a friend, it's going to require being others-oriented, not selfish. If you want to have a great relationship with God, it's going to require that you do the things that help you foster that relationship with God in worship and prayer and studying the word and in, in discipling others and investing and serving others. All these things, great things require doing hard things and that is discipline. And so here he is talking to his son. He's saying, son, laziness this is going to kill you, right? The, this, this craving for comfort is going to ruin your life. It's going to cost you a meaningful life. And the answer to that is you've got to be 
Discipline, you've got to exercise discipline. Diligence is just discipline, doing the discipline thing every day, right? I'm doing it consistently now, but discipline is where it begins. And probably right now, you're probably thinking this. All right, I kind of agree with that, but here's my problem. (laughs) Not very disciplined, see, that's that's my problem. I don't have any discipline. (laughs) So where, where do I get discipline? How how am I going to discipline myself? Because that's my problem. I don't have it to do it. So that's why I don't do it. I'm not very disciplined. And so I want to answer that question. This is very important. I want you to really lean in with me here. I'm going to answer that question in the next three minutes. But it's very important that you get what I'm saying. The answer to where do I find discipline? Well, there are actually two answers. There's one that our culture says, and there's one that God says. Our culture says that where you find discipline is in yourself. You dig deep, you try harder, you press harder, you strive harder, you keep going, you don't quit, you keep going, you don't quit, you charge up the hill, you, if you drop, you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going, and that's how you find discipline. It's in you. This is the Jocko Willick message, right? Y'all know who Jocko is? He's a Navy SEAL. He's written lots of books uh, on discipline. And in fact, he's got a large following. And basically what he says is that discipline is climbing the hard road, the uphill road and doing what's right and what's hard for you and your family, which I agree with. And then he went on to say in an interview that you can't get discipline from anywhere else. It has to come from within you. So you have to pull up this discipline. The problem I have with that is that my self-will eventually runs out. And my own power eventually comes short. Would you agree with that? How many times have we tried to do something and then our will ran out? Our power ran short, right? And this is where the gospel has a different answer. Because the gospel says this. Listen, that you're, now let me, let me peel the onion a little bit and dig a little bit deeper. That laziness is really just a, a, a effect of our own flesh, our sinful flesh. The Bible calls it our flesh, our old sinful nature. And that, and our laziness wants, uh, is just our flesh wanting to be lazy, wanting to be comfortable. It's the same thing with lust, right? That my sinful flesh lusts after something or my sinful flesh gets angry or my sinful flesh is greedy. And so it's all about me and serving me and what I want. And that's my sinful nature that is at odds with God. And so when I'm lazy, I'm just simply feeding my sinful nature. But in the gospel, I am confronted with my sinful nature. I'm confronted with the fact that I have sinned against God, that I don't want God to lead me, I want to lead. And I want God's will, I want my will. And I don't want God's way, I want my way. And I I don't want to do what God wants me to do, I want to do what I want. And so I I am going at odds with God. And in the gospel, I'm confronted with my sinful nature that is at odds with God, that is wicked to the core that is going against God that will not glorify God will not submit to God and I make myself and my wants and my desires my own idol and I'm confronted with that in the gospel and I realize if I continue down this path of feeding my own flesh my own sinful nature that that will lead me to ruin and ultimately to divine judgment but here's the good news in the gospel Christ came for us 
when we weren't pursuing him, when we weren't thinking about him, when we weren't wanting him, when we were pursuing our own sinful flesh, that Christ came to us and he revealed the Father and he went to the cross and on the cross all of his sin was put on the back of Jesus and he absorbed our sin and he became sin for us and he suffered the judgment of God on our behalf, in our place. That he was buried and three days later he rose again from the dead. And get this, he offers a new life. That your old sinful nature can be dead and buried and gone. And you can be raised a new person with a new nature and with a new heart for God. That desires what God wants. And it lives under the power of God and not yourself. See, that is the, the crux of the gospel. That in Christ you become a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And with that newness comes a new desire. Not your will, but his will. And a new power. Not your power, but God's power. And God's desire. Listen, uh, this one verse really stands out to me. And I just want to give it to you here. This is found in Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. Listen to it. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I love that. It is God who works in you, changing you on the inside so that you have the desire, the will, the want to, and the ability, the power to fulfill God's purpose for your life. See, it's not up to you. God will do it in you when you surrender yourself to him. God will change you on the inside. So when I am lazy, when I feel laziness come up, the alarm goes off and I know I need to be up and at it and I don't want to, I realize this is my sinful flesh wanting to steal away what God has for me and so it drives me to my knees and say, Lord, I submit myself to you. God, fill me with your will and fill me with your spirit to do what you want me to do today. When I'm lusting or when I'm angry or when I'm greedy, then it drives me to my knees. God, put to death this old man that wants these things that are at odds with you and fill me with your spirit to do what you want for this day. See, that's the Christian life. It's day by day in the morning, surrendering yourself completely to him and saying, God, you're going to have to do it because I don't have the will. I don't have the want and I don't have the ability. Only you can do it through me. But you know what? Here's the good news. When you do that, he will. He will. He will give you the desire. He will give you the ability to fulfill the purpose he has for you. Don't let laziness steal away what God wants to do in your life. Submit yourself to Jesus. Submit yourself to him. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? Maybe you are a Christian here. You've given your life to Christ and yet you see some areas in your life where there has been some laziness, some apathy, some indifference. Maybe it's spiritual apathy. Maybe it's apathy in your home or your family. Maybe it's uh, apathy and just some stewardship of your own physical health or your finances or whatever that God's put under your control. And as I've been speaking, the Holy Spirit's been saying, you know what, there's an area of laziness here that's stealing away what I want for you. And if you'll press into this area and ask me to help you in this area, I will help you. I will empower you. And I will grow you in it. 
And maybe what you need to do right now is just say, Lord, help me. Left to myself, I'm a, I'm a lazy person. Left to myself, I am, uh, I, I take the easy road. Left to myself, I, I think about only me. Lord, help me. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, give me your will. Fill me with a desire for the things that you want. Ask him to do that. Now listen, you may be here today and you don't know for sure if you know Christ. I mean, you've never given your life to Christ. When I talk about being saved, being born again, giving your life to Christ, you don't know what that means, but you just heard the gospel that Christ came for you. He died for you. He rose for you because he loves you. And right now, he offers you a chance to start over. For your old life to be gone, your new life to come. To fill you with purpose and meaning. But you got to turn to him in saving faith. You have to turn from your old sinfulness and turn to Christ. And so I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Maybe you're going, that's what I need. I need to be right with God before I can ever be right in the other areas of my life. So I want to give you a chance to do that right now with your heads bowed, nobody looking around. If you say, Pastor Craig, I need Christ in my life. I need to be right with God. I want to know for sure that when I die, I'm going to heaven and I want God to use me right here and right now. Then with everyone's head down, if you say, Pastor, pray for me, just raise up your hand. I'm not going to call you out, but when I see your hand, I will pray for you, for you to come to faith in Jesus. Lift up your hand, all right? Thank you, thank you. Lift up your hand where I can see it. Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus in my life. I want to know that I'm right with God. I don't want to fight him. All right, thank you. I want to be sure that I'm right with God. Thank you. All right, thank you. All right, anybody else? All right. All right, you put your hands down. Just right where you are, God knows your heart. Just right where you are as you're praying to him, just confess your sin to God. So say, God, I've sinned against you. Just tell him that in your own words. God, I've sinned against you. I've gone my own way. Now tell him that you believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose again. Now ask him to forgive you. you're turning from your sinful life to pursue Jesus and to follow Jesus ask him to to fill you with the spirit and use you for his purpose now thank him for his love his great love for you father I thank you for your great love for us. Lord, thank you for this word today. It's so practical. And Lord, I pray that you would just continue to search our hearts, any areas in our life that we take the easy road, any area that we we crave comfort over obedience, God, any area where the enemy is stealing away what you want to give us, God, because of this indifference in our life. Lord, I pray that you would root it out, that we'd see it as our flesh at war with your spirit. That God, we would surrender afresh and anew to you. We want to be your men and your women that walk with you in these days. 
So Lord, we're dependent on you. We look to you. You're our help. You're our hope. And we know that you'll give us the desire and the ability to serve you. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.